Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. And now, here is your host, the lovely, delightful, insightful, and all-around great gal, Ms. Barbara DeLong. As always, I thank Ken Quiet-Hawk for that lovely intro. You can find him at nativestorytellers.com. He and his wife have an amazing website and are native storytellers. So it's, it's important that we remember their talents and their gifts and their stories because they're part of the foundation of our reality. I'm really excited about tonight because we're going to be talking about one of my most favorite subjects, actually two of them. Um, joining me is Craig Sim Webb. He is a dream analyst, author, and researcher, as well as a widely traveled speaker and musical artist, a McGill University graduate with pioneering lucid dream research at Stanford. He's designed personal development devices sold worldwide. His new book, the Dreams Behind the Music, which we're going to be talking about tonight, reveals little-known dreams that inspired dozens of Grammy Award winners and other tremendous success stories for over 100 famous artists and highlights universal principles and techniques anyone can learn to have their own dreams for significant life breakthroughs. I want to welcome, welcome Craig to the show. I'm so delighted you're here. I can't wait to dig into your book and talk about the people and the dreams and and how people use dreams because to me the dreams are a very important part of our life and and people don't understand how important they can very they can be and how much they can help to open the door to so many other gifts and talents that are carried within so welcome to the show Craig Oh, well, thank you so much for having me on and, and for the lovely introduction and the music too it was beautiful yeah, it's um, and his voice is magical, isn't it? Yeah, just a little piano there, a nice little melody. Perfect yeah. kind of background, or I guess way to start our our topic, right? Absolutely, absolutely. You you have written about one of my most favorite topics, and your book is the kind of book people can't put down. But before we get into all of the famous people and all of that. Um, you didn't start out a dream researcher, did you? 
Uh, well, I don't know. I probably started out as a, a little mouth to feed like many of us have, but that was uh-huh. a little while back. I guess as uh, my life started expanding and uh, I came through teenhood and just into early 20s as a scientist, really, I had a powerful, I call it a near-death experience. Uh, and really, I think that's probably the true sense of that word or that phrase in oh, that part of me was dying off. You know, I was studying physics, provability, and very nuts and bolts physical laws. And I guess my intuitive side and my probably emotional side was not getting much training or much bandwidth or airtime. And so I had a powerful near drowning under a raft, which people would say that's more traditional near-death experience. But I actually think that's more like a symptom of what was happening inside me at the time. Well, it could be, could be, but but I do I do find that right after you had that experience, you started to recall your dreams, though, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, like ten dreams a day. You know how dreams disappear by the time of like shower or breakfast, if you're lucky. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, I would remember into lunch sometimes, same dreams into following days. And, I was just surprised. I wasn't really into dreams, but I wasn't against it either. So I started like a good little scientist taking down the data and noting my dreams and and seeing that they accurately predicted events that were pretty like rare specific events in the future. And then I started having lucid dreams. We can speak about that, but dreams during which I I knew I was dreaming and all kinds of other things that uh, really didn't fit my physics training sort of blew my mind, I guess. (laughs) It can do that when, when, that kind of a portal opens up inside of you and floods you with new information and new new gifts. Uh, it, it is, yeah. It's it, easy it, for me to definitely. say from this perspective, but at the time I was pretty freaky. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is, it is, and and it's exciting though too because suddenly you have access to to um, talents and gifts that that you can incorporate into every aspect of your life if you so choose. And, yeah, and I like to call it. Uh, I like to call it, and this is only after the fact, many years later. I like to call it the internet connection. It's kind of like the internet, but it's inside us. And when we get connected, there's so many beautiful functions available inside us, just like many of the the gifts that internet brings, like emails, Skype chats, <laughs> logging on websites, finding out info, even radio shows. So. These same things that appear in our physical world, as above, so below, says the Bible and the uh-huh. Upanishads and ancient texts. So below would be our dreams, and I guess the truth inside us are manifesting as the Internet. Well, I think that, that our dreams carry so much information and wisdom if we open to it. And, and Yeah, that's, it, a big, that's it, an important it, if. It, yes, it is, and... and but it isn't actually it isn't just the dreams it's those flashes of inspiration that that if we catch them and write them down they can mm. be a doorway to to far more material and and information as well so you've you've definitely um you've hit on, on an area that i think is so very important that everybody pay attention to and yet it's so hard to get people to really understand that that their dreams carry so much information in them that can be applied to this life to enhance this life. Yeah. That's what I'm a big kind of champion of that. Well, I call it applied dreaming. You'll uh, see, or the listeners can also see I have on the website, applieddreaming.com with two D's. That's uh, the teleclass I lead. But 
I like to sort of see the inner gifts that come as our, let's say, creative insights, sometimes our dreams, messages, whatever. I like to see them come out into the world where our gifts can benefit uh, our lives and then the lives of other people. So applying the dreams is pretty crucial in terms of bringing it alive. Sometimes they're just for inner quickenings or transformations within, but most of the time it should translate, at least eventually, into something that serves other people. So that's kind of been my focus also, and then I study and attract and train people and specifically that. Sounds like you've been doing that with your work over the years, too. Yes. <laughs> giving it a try. Well, you know, I think, I think that there are a lot of people on the planet right now with different... Um, different approaches to the same subject so that so that in in a way it 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 gives the population lots of different choices and lots of different directions and tools that they can use to to get the same magic in their life because um i know since i've been doing this work um there is an element of magic in almost everything i touch because the work I do, you know, I, I go back and forth between the realms, and and it it brings an enhancement and a vibrancy to my everyday life that wasn't there until I started to do this. And and I would say that everyone that I know of that that either works with their dreams or works with meditation or works with some form of of crossing that bridge within themselves, whether it's art, whether it's music, whether it's whatever their life takes on a new vibrancy that is so exciting it's it's a marvel it's it's phenomenal and you know you've been studying this for so long i i i am so impressed by the way your book presents um people that are so familiar to everyone and and yet and they and they utilize this talent and this skill, and it, it makes it more everyday, so that it's okay for for a quote unquote person who isn't initiated in all of it to say, well, hey, maybe I'll try that. That sounds interesting. And I mean, the hundreds of interviews you what, over three thousand hours you put into the research on this book. Oh, I lost him. Well, I wonder when I lost him. He's on Skype, so he will come back, I'm sure. I, I have to tell you that it, the research that he's done is amazing. He's gone into musicians. He's gone into artists. He's gone into corporate entities that are just phenomenal. And it, it's, it's, an amazing, it's an amazing journey to realize that people such as Larry Page had a dream and that dream became Google and of course you know with a with a with a dream like Google he will never want for anything but I will bet you money that he now writes his dreams down one of the things that that I get very excited about and and that I'm very intense about is that that if you if you can take that brief moment after you wake up and sort of hold on to and remember the dream then and then write it down 
you can return to it and remember it further and further and further. If you get up and take a shower and put your clothes on and have your breakfast, that, that dream she be gone. But if you can can just take a few moments to sit to lay there and sort of anchor yourself in it so that you're gonna be so that you are able to expand upon it at a later date, it, it becomes a part of your consciousness. And you kind of create a bridge between the consciousness and the higher consciousness or the consciousness and the dream state, however you want to put it. And and you're able to draw that energy in, make that happen, make that become a part of your reality. Uh, if If you kind of say to yourself, oh, I'll remember, and you get up and then you sit down with a paper and pencil, you'll find that that you're not able to remember it. You'll find that that you know it's really imperative that when you when you wake up in the morning that you kind of hold for a moment to anchor your conscious mind into the dream state so that you can write it down and then use that as a bridge to enhance it later on. Right, Greg? Now, that's a great way. Like journaling is good. I say mix it up too because we need to keep it interesting. So sometimes uh-huh. a voice recorder, like most cell phones have a voice recorder, or just uh, beautiful artwork like some of your mandalas. We don't necessarily have to intellectualize and understand on that level every dream. Sometimes just create it artistically, a dance or sometimes a oh, song yeah. or that kind of thing. So mix it up a little bit, but some way translated from my inner memories and experiences into outer worlds, yes. Well, I, you know, you, you mentioned so many artists and uh, musicians and artists and um you know it it just it blew me away reading through page after page after page of of musicians especially who would get either um a, a riff is that what it's called um yeah or, or, yeah or or a, a few phrases to to you know build on at a later time and i did mention while you were taking your short break, um, Larry Page and and how how he he dreamed Google. <laughs> if you're gonna have that's a dream, a that's kind I of like to say like uh, maybe the DNA. It's it was the original aspect that got Google to be a better search engine called PageRank. Sort of uh-huh. uh, how the page is placed when you do a search on Google, and he named it after I guess himself to some degree. Also PageRank, you know. But uh, uh-huh. that came to him in a dream, and then, of course, many men and women, and maybe even children, who knows. But many work hours later, it becomes a huge, I think now, $750 billion company. But the seed and the DNA came directly from dreamland. And well, I think it actually so mirrors the... our collective consciousness of sort of law of uh-huh. attraction. If we think of something, and we can sometimes attract it into our life. Well, right now we have the collective conscious, and you could type it in the search engine, you can start attracting the actual product or event or, or emotional connection from from something on Google. Oh, absolutely! And uh, the sewing machine came from a dream. Um, True. Thomas Thomas Edison used to take short little naps. Um, yeah. I know that that um, if I'm working on writing something, um, if I find that that you know I just can't crank it out, and I don't want to crank it out, I want it to flow. I will go to bed with the the title of what I want to work on in my head, and I literally will hear the entire article spoken to me before I wake up. 
And there you and, go. So a dream you know, download. Yeah, it's just it's amazing. Yeah, why not? It's it's kind of like I don't really have to work. Um, when when uh, I for I served for five years um, in the pulpit of a spiritualist church, and every 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 time I I didn't call them sermons, I called them sharings because I somehow didn't mm-hmm. feel that I I was qualified to preach at people, but I could sure share things with them. And I would I would get a topic in mind, and I would say, you know, this is I think I want to talk about this, and I would sleep on it two three nights, and usually by the third night, the whole thing just downloaded to me, and it was amazing. It was sort of like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now it came through me. Was it of me or was it me? I never knew. Yeah, well, the me part, uh, I think what we identify with as self changes as we grow and expand. So it's probably uh-huh. a changing M on your me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, who, whoever, whatever, however it was, it had to come from my frame of reference and my vocabulary. And, and there was always something that felt a little bit magical about it, like, I didn't feel like I was cheating because, you know, the experiences I was talking about were mine. So I had actually had the experiences, but but a lot of it was trusting that this was going to happen. And and that came over time, too. You know, it wasn't something that happened overnight. But if if someone is looking to to sort of find that bridge within or open that door or portal or however you want to explain it, how would you suggest people start it? Uh, well, you mentioned, I guess, at the start of our discussion today that it's sometimes hard to convince people that it's worth it. Uh, that's actually, you know, short of the people who actually don't recall much, in which case we can give very specific tips and things. But even uh-huh. with uh, such folks who don't have much recall, there has to be some level of motivation and otherwise it won't really last in our lives. Maybe we'll have success in a week. Anybody who's pretty motivated, I can usually get them connected to the inner net of dreams or help them remember dreams pretty fast within days or a week at the most usually. So it's not too hard to actually get the data, the inner data of dreams flowing. What's tougher and less obvious is how to keep it flowing in a way that we grow it as a relationship And Uh I like to put it in the framework of at first we start dating with this part of us, this inner part, to see if we get along well, if there's a fit, and then maybe we go steady. And eventually if we decide that there's a lot of benefits, we have a marriage. It's probably the most important relationship in our life, by the way, with our inner self and our inner wisdom. Absolutely. But it's something that takes a little while to develop, and we have to learn the ins and outs because it's not always easy for a waking self, uh, our normal physical self, to dance with some of the inside info and the responsibility that comes with it and some of the challenges of learning the different consciousness principles and learning our life lessons that usually gets, I guess, included in the mix. It sort of sometimes uh, pushes us to to grow on the inner levels where we're meant to grow and learn. So. It's something that requires a little bit of time, focus. It's not hard. I don't like people to think of it as work, but more of a commitment. And usually I say the most valuable thing to help with recall and help getting that commitment to start is just find a practical payoff in life. Uh And usually that's Uh what I speak about the most. I call it applications or benefits. 
things like that. But you can say some way that it could be helpful for me, like a mom, a mother might find ways to dream for her children, which is very common, by the way. Or a uh-huh. businessman like Larry Page might dream the idea that brings him a huge, successful business. He's not the only one, by the way. Or James Cameron, who I spoke with, and uh, he shared the, the dreams that inspired some of his films, including Avatar. Two dreams inspired Avatar and ended up being the highest, grossest, highest grossing movie of all time. Uh, and it's because uh, he sort of grew the relationship over time. And at first, he had to find some simple payoffs so that he realized the value of that. And so for me, I ended up becoming a teacher of dreams. I don't think anybody has to, everybody doesn't have to do that. But find a simple practical payoff in your life. Maybe improve your learning or schooling or your health or relationships or your spiritual path. And then once you see some of the gifts it can bring, we're usually a little more willing to commit uh, more time, (laughs) a little bit of focus. It doesn't have to be a few hours every day, but let's say an hour or two on the weekend in the morning. And then realizing uh-huh. the biggest payoff, that even if we actually don't do too much interpretation and like acting on dreams, which I think we're really missing out if we don't do that, but even if we just record them, we're actually developing intuition. We're strengthening the neural pathways that help with daily intuition because night dreams and da- daily intuition is pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Well, and the coincidences that happen within our lives are, are another way that that, that it, once that door is open, that, that when coincidences happen, if you write them down, it over time it it it's almost like to, my explanation is the universe sees you're paying attention because you've written it down, so more will come. If you kind of say, "Oh, what a great coincidence," and move on and don't acknowledge it or embrace it. You know, you you have the normal number of coincidences, and and you don't take advantage of them. But if you take advantage of them, if you write them down, if you pay attention to them, uh, you'll find they happen more and more within your life. I have found. Um, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, it's sort of like growing the relationship. If somebody uh-huh. comes and visits us a few times, and we don't pay much attention to them, or we don't give them anything to eat, or we or in the worst case scenario, we're not even nice to them. They probably won't come back too often. They may not hate us or anything, but they just realize that they're not super welcome. So like dreams, if we don't invite them, and synchronicities, if we don't kind of understand them and maybe offer some of the, the gifts that they can bring to people and to our lives, then they probably won't come as much, or at least we won't notice them. And they're there. The, the moment we realize the value, they're there waiting to come back. Though. That's the good news. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not like they go away. It's that they, they just are, I don't know, waiting for next life or something. It just, um, <laughs> it, it's, you know, it's kind of like, well, if I don't make it this life, I'll do it next lifetime. But but yeah. the, I think what what was inspiring was the number of artists um, of all kinds that that really relied upon their dreams and were very open about it. And, and there was there was one about um, Merle Obertson at a concert. Merle um, yeah, sure. Yeah, it was, it was the performer that was performing that had the dream. Yeah, well, there's uh, there's so many different aspects to how dreams can be helpful, like different, I guess, uh-huh. types of ways they can serve us. There's a little more obvious, many of the artists that I wrote about in the book, uh, the dreams behind the music actually use it for getting the melodies or the lyrics or sometimes the soundscape, the, the different musical effects and things. So that's that's a little more obvious. That's kind of a creative channel. But it, it can go extend into things that sound like more like psychic 
or like career and life guidance. I think you're probably referring to Bono from the band U2, which yes. many of the listeners have heard of. <laughs> Excuse me. And he's a pretty psychic dreamer in that he actually tuned into people, in this case, uh, Roy Orbison, who he'd never met. And then uh, and sort of it, the dream and him acting on it created an interesting collaboration. The actual story might interest listeners in that he woke up uh, sort of half awake, I guess, listening to the soundtrack of Blue Velvet. That's the movie by uh, David Lynch. I don't know if you've seen that. But uh, the, and the, on the soundtrack of Blue Velvet, uh, David Lynch, uh, there's one of the song there by Roy Orbison, In Dreams, which many of the listeners might have heard before, which itself actually was inspired, uh, Roy Orbison was inspired by a dream about Elvis to write that song. So that's interesting right there. But that song was on the thing. But you uh, two uh, singer, lead singer there, Bono, woke up with this new melody and sound. Mystery girl, she's a mystery to me. And that sort of interesting sounding Kodo organ and things. And so he was kind of like, oh, sounds like Roy Orbison, but I don't really remember that song. So he looked on the soundtrack and he didn't find it there. He did see the In Dream song by Roy Orbison. He said, well, maybe I just wrote it, you know, with his Irish accent. <laughs> And he started working on it a little bit, and uh, he uh, later that day, even at soundcheck with the band, because I think they were playing in Wembley Stadium. It's a big band, so they have pretty good concerts. He in soundcheck, he played it for the rest of the the gents in the band, and said, "Hey, does this sound like Roy Orbison? I dreamt this today." And they're saying, "Yeah, it does, kind of, and it's kind of interesting." And so he was working on it even after the concert, which I might imagine he might be pretty tired, but he was really motivated. So he continued working on the song, you know, after, I guess, the, the encore. He's in the dressing room there kind of piecing together the music. And then there's a knock at the door out of nowhere. Pretty much the security guard says, there's somebody here to see you. Actually, it's uh, Roy Orbison and his wife. And then all of a sudden the bandmates are saying, oh, you were just joshing us. You knew all the time. Don't try to pull our leg. And, such. and he said, yeah. guys, I don't even know him. I don't even know he was in London, and I certainly didn't know he was at the concert. But anyways, Roy Orbison comes in. The, you know, he's a pretty high figure. He, the Beatles opened for Roy Orbison, so they let him in. And uh, he said, the uh, first thing he said was, a great concert. And they said, oh, yeah, you're really welcome. And then second thing, out of nowhere, he said, do you have a song for me? And Bono said, I, I guess I do. And here it is. And, Bono actually ended up producing that song with uh, The Edge, the guitar player on Roy Orbison's last album. And I noticed a pretty interesting connection that's not in the book, but uh, has now reached into mass culture. Many of the people who in the last couple of few weeks have seen the movie Aquaman, it was one of the key songs in the movie Aquaman, where Aquaman meets sort of his, his loving companion, or his girlfriend, and they, they play it, Mystery Girl, to to kind of introduce her, which I thought was pretty cool. Oh, jeez, yeah. The alchemy uh, of that song reached the <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I, it, it's the number of um, people that you interviewed. I know that um, the Beatles had at least two of them that that w- were were triggered by dreams or dreams triggered them. Um, yesterday and yeah, Let It Be, a- I think. Yeah, those are the two big ones that many people know. So yesterday in Let It Be came to Sir McCartney and his dreams. and He's actually a melody dreamer, so he dreams the melodies. Mm-hmm. But some other dreamers sometimes just get a little hint or sometimes a soundscape or some 
some dreams that went pretty big uh, as music songs were just a certain feeling of the artist when they woke up. And they knew that they had dreamt music, but they didn't specifically remember the lyrics, but they had the feeling. So then they kind of took the feeling and created the song from there. But usually uh, that works really well when they do sort of wake up in the middle of the night and go right into the studio. And yeah. uh, it's sort of still connected with the creative channel that was opened in, at night in dreams. There's one here interesting that I thought you might like specifically. Uh, do you remember the Christmas carol that was inspired, or at least the melody was inspired by a dream? No, which was that? Oh, it was the organist, Louis Redner. He uh, dreamt the melody for O Little Town of Bethlehem. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Um, In fact, he was kind of just, under a deadline. I think the, the minister said, "Hey, next day, tomorrow, we're gonna we're gonna play that song. I hope you have a new. <laughs> I hope you can play an oh organ part for it." And so he dreamt it. And yeah, then I, he I played the next day. Beginning. How you know it? It's. I I really think it's like magic when when these things happen because um, it's almost like it's it's first of all it's important for the artist because there's something in whatever it is they're bringing through that relates to them, and then secondly, because it's come that way, there's a piece of magic connected to it. Um, I mean, you there have been a number of people there there was one that that uh i think someone dreamed of a, of a of a piece of music and said you have to you have to write this and play this because it's going to win an award and it did oh yes yes charlie wilson who's uh, yeah. kind of a blues and it was his wife i think who dreamt it and it was very specific that's when people say oh yeah but maybe they're a good artist anyway as well some of the artists, actually, many of the artists came famous because they acted on and recorded uh-huh. and composed their dream songs. So, you know, Dave Grohl, who's pretty big, Foo Fighters and Nirvana and such, his whole career was launched by a dream. So they're not necessarily big before the dreams. But in this case, he was somewhat known. But his uh, wife uh, actually specifically dreamt that he would be nominated for a Grammy. Not necessarily win, not nothing, but nomination, which is still pretty prestigious. And uh, if they sort of take those lyrics and this melody and act on it and create a piece, then he can get a nomination, which is exactly what happened. So it's pretty specific stuff, right? Well, it's you know, dreams are amazing, and you know, they there are lots of different kinds. Some of the premonition dreams are are amazing. Uh, there was one one wife who. Um, dreamt that her husband shouldn't go to sea that day, and and convinced him not to. Oh, and yes. I, th- that goes way back, That's though, that. doesn't that? Yeah, about a hundred years ago. That's an extremely little-known story. It's uh, told originally by Clary Croft, who's a radio host in Canada, who I met, and a wonderful gent. He's sort of a musicologist and collects music and and writes his own songs, and he collects stories of culture and have songs and folk songs created. And he heard of a sailor who actually didn't go on a voyage that he was booked to be the first mate on because the morning he was sort of destined to go, his wife dreamt of black sails and the whole ship sort of crashing and going under in a storm. And, you know, his, the husband was probably a little more worldly and says, I got to go, you know, I've committed to the captain and he's got huge, like, money and, I guess, like, customers and things riding on that I show up and help him with the ship. But she was strong enough to not let him go 
he went and apologized, and then the captain took his son. Unfortunately, the really sad ending to that story is that it ended up being true, and the ship did crash, and both captain and son lost their lives. Yeah. Terrible storm. Well, John Lennon dreamt of his death, what, a year before he actually yeah. passed? Twice. In fact, if you look at it with good dream interpretation skills, perhaps three times. And he was pretty oh, wow. nervous about it, too, because he drank some specifics, you know. Uh, chubby stranger wearing spectacles, second dream, had something outside the Dakota, which is the hotel he lived at where, where he got assassinated. So it's pretty uh, specific stuff. And he was pretty nervous and was upset that he didn't remember more details. You know, obviously he has a really busy and full life. So a year later, he probably wasn't thinking too much about the dream. But uh, it did play out true. and It's a very sad ending to that one, too. Sometimes we sort of catch the warnings, I guess, like the sailor did. And then sometimes uh-huh. we, we don't. It's, it's serious stuff. Usually there's some early warnings that aren't so serious. Like Diana Ross, she had a bunch of warning dreams that later, because she didn't really act on them, the nightmares of a cat kind of scratching into her and digging its claws into her. Uh, she didn't uh, follow that guidance and sort of slow down her tour, which she was pretty clear that she needed to do. And then she fell, collapsed on stage, and it was during the time of the Supremes, and the whole Supreme tour had to be postponed and canceled. So she was okay later. She went to the hospital, but it's still sort of a warning and serious. You better listen to this important channel of information. It's trying to help yeah. you, and sometimes it's good health information or maybe even life and death. So you better tune in. Well, you know, a lot of times, too, though, you, you, get, you have a dream and, and you don't take the time to really analyze it because sometimes the dream is, the dream is not, I mean, with, with John Lennon, it, it wasn't really specific, and yet it did, it did foretell of, of what was coming. And sometimes, you're right, sometimes it is a, a dream that will basically say slow down or take it easy or go another direction. But it, but it's it's often not literal. I mean, sometimes it is literal, but it's it's hard to tell what's literal and what's symbolic. And if it's symbolic, how to interpretate it? So it does take a little bit of work to to kind of uh, iron out what these dreams are trying, what you what we, your higher consciousness or the whoever's on the other side is trying to relate to you. Yeah. And I don't think those levels that you mentioned, sort of, let's say, interpretational, mental level, understanding, maybe emotional level, and then literal, physical level where it plays out in our life, I don't think they're necessarily separate. Uh, we can have both, and sometimes we just have more one or the other. But you can certainly uh-huh. have both. I say to people, if you dream of, let's uh, example, this is a little more common. If you dream of, like, brakes failing on your car, Yes, it's a good idea to go symbolic and interpretive in the mental sort of analysis mode. Am I going too fast in my life? Uh, I have an important decision coming where I'm not able to slow down or make a turn and safely or something. I know an important decision. But then also on the more literal level, it might be a good idea to check the physical brakes on your actual car yes. just in case it's like more of a warning. And even the, the physical event, let's say the brakes aren't in top shape, that could be a symbolic thing that you haven't really slowed down in life and you haven't taken the time to so to be safe when you're driving and you keep maintenance up in your life and protective maintenance. So they're not necessarily so separate. In the case of John Lennon, it was actually pretty specific. He saw a tubby oh, yeah. spectacle with strangers and a revolver exactly like he had. In the case of, I guess, Diana Ross, it was a little more symbolic of a cat digging its claws into her. But right after that, when she was in the car with the Supremes telling the nightmare, 
right? The very next thing she said, you know, we're going crazy on these tours. They never give us any time for ourselves or let us slow down. So she might have consciously not connected it, but she knew enough to say it in the next phrase what the dream was asking her to do. Yeah. Well, you know, it's I, I, I think that that this this gift, and it is a gift, um, has a great deal to do with, with creativity. And if if people... Um, those who are creative are more open to um, this kind of a, of a of a seeding of their consciousness. And and but but this is not something that you don't have to be a creative wizard or or whatever. I mean, I'm certainly not. And but I do creative things, and so that channel is open, and so things can flow a little more easily for me from time to time. And and I do feel that that a lot of people don't realize that they are they're being very creative within their lives even though it isn't a traditional form of creativity. I mean, auto sure. mechanics that sure. are able to do things automatically, you know, that's a gift, that's a talent, that's a skill and yeah, or creative that, ways that they work with customers or creative ways that they change the actual business up that earns them more money and serves more people. Sometimes they make a new invention for the car or a certain type of car that's very creative, you know, an inventor. It solves yeah. a lot of problems and actually saves a lot of money for a lot of their customers or there are millions of people around the world in some cases. Well, it, but, you know, it, it's, it's, I think it's so, it's so important for people to pay attention to these insights and these inspirations that, that do come to us. And they do come to us when our conscious mind is not as active and analytical, you know, that, that, that time between sleep and, and wake where, where there is a yeah. consciousness and yet it isn't analytical so much. And there are, there are times there that, that, that we get messages that are, that are for us to help us enhance our lives. And if you, if you pay attention to them, if you write them down, if you record them, if, some, if you kind of catch them before they dissipate, they can enhance your life. They can change your, they can change your life, literally. Look at, look, at, look at the guy who did Google, for heaven's sakes. He's a gazillionaire now. That's not bad. $750 no. billion dollar dream there. <laughs> I'll have I one could of those, live with please. that. Yeah. Don't want to pay the tax on it, but, you know, aside from that, um, one of the things that I found fascinating, um, you do talk about inspiration and you do talk about getting um, getting suggestions and insights from dreams. I didn't, I didn't, I don't remember the lady's name, but she was, let's call her avant-garde, and she dreamed of a concert in which the four people playing the instruments were each in a different helicopter. Oh, yes. And she, yes. And uh, she made it happen. Can you talk, talk about yeah. that? Because that was one of the wackiest dreams ever, and she made it happen, and it was amazing. Yeah, and many people don't know that. It's actually the, probably the most expensive performance piece in the history of music. It requires four <laughs> helicopters in flight. Uh, it was actually Karl-Heinz Stockhausen, if you forgive my German pronunciation, so a man. But uh, he probably had a wife who supported him, so maybe uh, she helped with the dreams too and let him sleep. 
But he would often, he was one of the futurists and I guess uh, the avant-garde, what they call electronic musicians who would try different sounds and be very creative, kind of like Salvador Dali and some of the others. Andre Breton did with poetry, Salvador Dali did with painting. Some of the electronic musicians would do it in sort of music format or sound creations, I guess. And uh, he dreamt of the buzzing of bees and, and saw flying helicopters above and musicians playing in them and sort of a multiple vision and different dreams. And at first he kind of discounts it. He goes, well, I can never really do that. But then uh, he managed to get a commissioned a grant from the Salzburg Festival and we got the money. And he said, uh-huh. okay, let's try this crazy thing. And they ended up having the, you know, they have to figure out all the technicalities of how do we get them on radio link and how do we keep the sound of the helicopters quiet enough to hear the actual violins and things. So they worked out the physical and they actually made it happen. I think more than once too. They uh, they got help from the military who lent them the helicopters. I think so. They had a little bit of a rebate there. But the idea of really, really committing to it and acting on it and bringing it alive. So he sort of married that inspiration and probably took a huge budget and a number of months and brought it alive. So four helicopters in flight and a certain special sound of the musicians all playing in a totally different space. I guess freedom in space. And, yeah, all, all piped different. into the same auditorium so that people heard the instruments playing together. In harmony. Well, in harmony. In harmony. <laughs> while they were in separate helicopters flying around the sky. I mean, I would have paid to hear that. There's probably some That's interesting just... symbolism. I think there's a video on YouTube about that. If people have the uh, Kindle version of the book, there's a link in there. But you can probably just search Carl uh, Heinz. Uh, Stockhausen. Uh, that's kind of a fancy spelling there, but uh, just maybe search four helicopters in flight and then uh, it should come up. People can sort of check it out. It won't be as good as the actual performance where they're flying around, but you can get a little flavor of it. There's the, some, the other some one really committed people who commit to very big visions and bringing them true. I think uh, okay. I like I really like Richard Wagner. Do you remember him? Yeah. Yeah, he committed over, I think, 30 years to the Ring of Nibelung, if I pronounce it correctly. And that he first dreamt the sound of the start, but it ended up being a 30-year project. Now, that's a pretty serious commitment. <laughs> yeah. Hearing, like a lot of music. He, he was so committed yeah. and really into it. He actually taught the principles, some of the principles that I teach about how to tune into dreams and act on them in his, uh, in his opera, Meister Singers, or Master Singers, we say in English. He sort of had the, the main, one of the main characters say, yes, you must dream on it and then create your dream if you want. Play your dream and sing your dream if you want to become a master singer and get the, get the beautiful woman as your partner and such. And so he's kind of teaching people back then of exactly what we're saying now of, hey, act on your dream and it can bring beauty and, and maybe some like financial remuneration for you too. In this case, he would get a beautiful girl. So he was pretty big and uh, had a lot of different dreams for his operas, but that was one of them. Well, and you know, you, you can go way back into, is it Greece where they had the temples for dreaming? Yeah, sure. The Asclepian temples. So yeah. it doesn't have to be modern culture or even, let's say, Renaissance times. If we go back, dreaming is such a universal human way of, well, let's say, tuning in, or even I would say it's just a core part of our identity in normal physical Western, let's say, year 2000, 20th century, 21st century life. We may not think of it as too normal or too much a part of who we are, but it's still there. It just doesn't get as much attention. Although I think there's a big resurgence now. 
starting to go more towards that with some of the movies and the popular topics and and hopefully some of the work I've been bringing out there to the world of inspiring people to work with their dreams in different ways and you, Barbara, and, and many others. It's, I think, coming more and more now. But in ancient cultures, you know, probably uh, certainly the Greeks, but well before that too, many, many uh-huh. native shamans around the world say, of course, you know, if you dreamt of fighting with your brother, then you have to go and apologize and work it out in waking life. Or if you dreamt a certain plant, you better go and find that plant and bring it for your healing to heal your sister. Or if you're lucky and you were a shaman and you got your dream song, if you're a Celtic shaman and you kind of went on your song quest and got your your true sound and your true music and your melody for you or some of the Hopi Indians in in North America, you better play it and sing it and it'll protect you during battle and it'll help you in your relationships and it might improve your health. It has Uh some kind of alchemical property that can really help you a lot. So go connect with your inner magic and you you better use it daily or else you're going to be in trouble kind of thing. So well, native I, cultures are a little more open to this. It, isn't it? It's either Australia or it's South South Africa. And I, I realize they're very separate apart, but but there are dream pathways where people sing the pathway to where they're going, and and there is a a melody, a tune that that comes either from the earth or from themselves that that, that takes them and leads them to where they're going. Yeah. Well, the Aboriginals uh, they definitely connect yeah. with the dream. T- which I'm not sure in the West if we exactly know what they mean when they say the dream time. It's quite an experience and probably an identity that's a little different. We can sort of talk about it, uh-huh. but it's probably a powerful experience that they know. And so they, in waking life, they're not so much focused on the physical. And in dreamland, they take it to be, quote-unquote, very real also. So there's much more blending, bridging, and, and probably that benefits both sides, our inner life and our outer lives. Well, that's what dream quests are. Um, you know, with the Native Americans, when you go on a dream quest, um, vision quest. Yeah, vision quest. You're, you are you are definitely going internally to find a purpose and a source and a direction for life. I mean, it's to get a message from from your spirit to bring forward into reality to help direct your life. Um, the element really of dreaming has. Yeah, absolutely, and and so. So that aspect that we all have, I mean, you mentioned dream DNA. I, I, we all have dream DNA, <laughs> and, and it's, it's an aspect that we can absolutely touch into and connect to and utilize to enhance our physical reality. It's one of the tools we came in with. And, you know, if you have a tool in your tool belt and you don't use it, it's a sad thing because you're missing out on something, and everybody has it. It's not it's yeah. not meant for only special people. It's meant for everybody. Sure. We're all creative in some ways, but we all have this mm-hmm. tuning into our inner truth, our little voice. I mean, in our culture, we've sort of forgotten, let's say modernized culture, we've forgotten officially doing to a dream quest or like the, the Celts do. I like the Crux. They go on a song quest. I made up the word. But they look for their true melody. So it doesn't have to be a vision necessarily. But something that's going to give us a pretty profound and new, fresh insight about how uh-huh. we could serve the community, the greater tribe for many years, perhaps our whole life, our calling really, or sometimes like our few-year project or something. And there's some great examples. I mean, uh, Dave Grohl, who many people just think of as a pretty hard rocker, crazy Nirvana and Foo Fighters. I think he did the movie Sound City, too. He actually dreamt his whole path 
just because he was upset at a girl who dumped him in high school. And he saw that uh, he was in a dream. He was on stage playing, you know, wildly, and she was crying in the front row. And he said, "Good, you know, <laughs> she dumped me, so she should." The feeling of sort of playing on stage, and then he started playing. I think originally drums more and more, and then eventually realized, "Wow, this is the stuff that's true to me. It's my whole calling." And he sort of instead of marrying the girl, he married the path and gave a lot of creative gifts to many people. Still does. And my whole path, I don't know if I didn't really mention it, but I had two pretty clear vision dreams that I followed to to do a lot of the work that I do. And in the first dream, I saw myself touring around the world, speaking and presenting and and the great opportunity of interviews just like this, Robert, to serve people and I guess share some of the wisdom life has blessed me with. And then in the second part of the dream, uh, I think you might, you might relate to this. I woke up crying with tears on the pillow. I mean, literally just bawling from the beauty of the second part of the dream where I could be also singing and sharing music and offering probably the same insights or experiences, but in a more artistic fashion, which I do quite a bit also now more and more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just you just mentioned my um, my experience, which you know it's it's um, it, it's not book worthy, but it, it's certainly you you um, we we were corresponding on email, and you said you know remember your dreams. Um, you yeah. know, it might be a friendly little suggestion to you. Remember your dream yeah, the night before the show. <laughs> feed me with that suggestion. I mean, for geez. And, and, um, I had just, you know, I had finished the book. Uh, a lot of it was very, very vivid in my mind. And I, um, one of the, one of the parts that touched me the most was that, that Handel, when he was, um, working oh, on yeah. the Messiah, he spent how long? How long in his rooms? A week, two weeks. I think what about three weeks, pretty much. Pretty much cut off for about three weeks, just creatively, totally pouring out this huge messiah. Really, the 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 whole work of art there that's many, got many movements mm-hmm. and things. But the Hallelujah chorus, he pretty much says, came in well. Let's say a significantly altered state. If you yeah. use the word dream, that's fine. He wasn't really physical, but when uh, that person came to serve him his food, he kind of was just in tears streaming down his eyes, and he goes, I have just seen the whole host of the heavenly beauty, and they gave me this this melody and this song for the chorus that I was looking for, the hallelujah kind of part. And oh, you, yeah. So you had some connection with that? So I did. I When I was in high school, I was a member of the church choir, and I just loved to sing. I, I I don't have a talent for it, but I love to sing, and I sing. You know, I don't really care if that I'm not talented. It gives me joy. Just but anyhow, I was yeah, I I was in the choir for a number of years, and and at one point, it actually was a very very good choir. It was a youth choir, so I think the oldest of us was 20, and we were invited. Um, we I lived in Westchester, and we were invited into New York City to one of the big churches that felt like a, a cathedral to sing the Hallelujah Chorus with the adult choir there. And um, it, was, it, it was amazing. Uh, we went down to New York City in, in a bus, you know, singing not Hallelujah in the bus, but singing. And we got to the, the church, and it was our church was a church. It was a nice big church, but this was yeah. a cathedral. This had the huge wow. arches and the stone uh, you know the stone went up 
I don't know, looked like it went up five stories. It was huge, and you could hear your feet echo as you were walking down to to where the choir was going to be singing. And Beautiful reverb. Oh, it was amazing, and and the lights were basically out except in the front of the church because, you know, the first was the rehearsal. And um, we got all the way down to to the sanctuary, and we got lined up, and the organ started in, and everybody got chills. And there had to be 20 of us, and there were probably 50 of them. So you had an adult, mature voices, and then you had a youth choir with their their fresh, clear voices. And the music started, and, and everybody got kind of chills, and we kind of looked at each other like, whoa, this is going to be cool. We started singing, and... I can the sound of our voices echoing in that sanctuary, in that church that was basically dark except for the very few lights that were on that were they were like candle lights. It was like suddenly we were taken out of time, and the more we sang, the the more profound the music got, the the more the more we were all really transported and it, it it felt like we were in another place, another time, and the music just went through us all. And and at the very end, after the crescendo and the silence, we all looked at each other and all of us had tears running down our faces. The adults were crying. The organist was crying. The director was crying. and And I woke up crying. Now, when we did the performance, we were great, but it was not anything like that experience in the empty church. It was the most magical, transformative, profound moment I've ever had in my life. And it's all your fault. That's your memory or your dream this morning? (laughs) Or both? Um, Well, the experience itself, and I I relived it in the dream. It was like I was there. Oh, okay. So you had the whole feeling and uh, that whole beauty, tears, just overwhelmed, really. In oh, it was, it was just, um, you know, and I have since played the Messiah again. And I, yeah, and, and, you know, I tear up a little bit, but it was nothing like yeah. it was in that church. It was, it was a moment out of time. And... Um, well, that's Our a good way to frame it. You probably sort of tuned into, I guess, Handel's original state and inspiration. And he was very, he said directly, seeing the heavenly hosts, and let's say pretty ah. directly connected with divine and divine vibrations. And so if you yeah, say you was, transported across time or you were free from time, you might have tuned into his exact states through the music. Might have done that. But all I know is, you know, even even the guys, you know, said, I had chills. I had going up and down my spine. It was just, you know, and the adults uh, were saying the same thing. It was, you know, they all looked at each other like, what just happened? And it was, you know, I mean, and the performance itself was, I mean, it was appreciated and it was beautiful. But, you know, with the full church, the echo, the resonance isn't the same. And there were couple hundred people there I, I think five or six hundred people there so you know it was the crowd muffled the sound to a certain degree when you had the empty church where it was just all vibrating the walls it was amazing 
It was mm-hmm. it was very cool. But, and also, um, like in the the church, the actual church service, it might have been lighter during the practice. Uh-huh. It was darker and maybe more light time. So you're kind of tuning in already just from those factors. And oh, yeah. I wouldn't even say it was necessarily a fully physical event. It may have been something that sort of happened inside each of you and then sort of seemed like this physical singing rehearsal that you well, did it was, that actually happened inside all of you. Well, it was, yeah, I would say it was the group energy. Um, yeah. If you if you oh, if you've nice. ever been to see uh, uh, you know a fundamentalist New Age healer you know who who whips the crowd into a frenzy before they do their healings and stuff it was the same type of thing you know the group energy was there and it blended and it was just magical it was I, I it wasn't recorded or anything like that but um, it was it was an experience I don't think. Well, obviously, I've not forgotten. It happened over 55 years ago. I so, would say uh, um, it's recorded in, inside you. You dreamt it. You dreamt <laughs> that feeling again this morning. So the recording is alive and well. Uh, yes, it is. It was. It was just. It was phenomenal. And um, you know, everybody has the potential for doing what you do, what I do, what all of these artists do, and you know. I think one of the things that you did go into is that there are different kinds of dreams. You want to talk a little bit about the different kinds of dreams that we have? Well, there are so many aspects to the general word that people use, dream. I mean, uh-huh. uh, we don't certainly always all use it the same way. Sometimes we use dream to mean the, the dreams to mean this, these hopes that we have for our life and our career and our, our goals and things. I don't think they're necessarily disconnected from our nighttime dreams that we wake up with in the morning because often there our goals and our wishes and our plans and our calling is, like you said before, comes from our dreams, although we don't always connect the two. But So the words can be connected, but we sort of use them in some ways different. And then when you get to actual, let's say, closer to nighttime dreams, there's sort of the half-awake dream state that you spoke about. Sometimes there's daydreams. Sometimes there's like... A, a deja vu kind of dream where we're pretty fully awake, but it's much more dreamlike than real or physical moment. And then, uh, of course, there's a lot of psychic synchronicity kind of dreamings. And we can give a few examples. And, that. and then the one that I find really valuable for many of the listeners also is what we often phrase as either recurring dreams, usually unpleasant, or bad dreams if you're a little child, they call them bad dreams, or nightmares. That's what we often call them mm-hmm. as waking adults. And those end up being so important. They're the recurring life lessons or recurring attempts at our different inner self to help us learn life lessons that are really crucial for us to to graduate from life school to really do what we're here to do. And if we master our inner life lessons, usually right behind some of the nightmares that are recurring is all the incredible creative energy. That's what I've seen in the teleclasses that I offer first week uh-huh. or two is sort of upsetting nightmares, sometimes like bathroom dreams where we're sort of clearing out the old. Uh-huh. And then it comes to the incredible creative visions, the music, the new relationships, springtime, blossoms. And so it's usually not far behind, but unless we address it, unless we debug the code, the inner, let's say, emotional software, the neural pathways that aren't serving us, it just stays the same and keeps printing out unpleasant situations in our life too, not just the nightmares. So really important to recognize what they are and I have an article there if people want to check it out on the website uh, at craigweb.ca it says uh, nightmares lucky you 
people say, oh, I, I don't want to have nightmares. And I say, well, I don't really want you to have nightmares in the long run. But would you like to have an oil light on your car or would you like to have a smoke alarm in your house or something like that? And they say, yes. Why? Well, because it provides a warning that something troubling is going to happen soon. And if you catch it early, you can usually avoid the worst of the troubles. So that's really the value of nightmares in our lives. Catch it early on the subtle level, you know, mental, emotional level, and then you don't have to print it out into like a, a ruined relationship or a health problem or maybe a lost job or something worse, like I guess John Lennon, like actual death. You know. Mhm. Well, you know, I found I I had a. Now this is this is probably one of the lesser recurring dreams. That, I mean, it it didn't have great import in my life, but it sort of did. Um, I dreamt that I was at my funeral, and um, I wasn't upset that I was dead. Um, and I was at the back of the um, funeral home. I, I was at the back of the crowd, and I watched it. And it was an open coffin, which I would never allow. So you know it had to be something that it was telling me something about. And as people walked by and looked at me, many of my friends said, oh, my God, her hair looks so good. Why did she ever wear it that way? And so I I struggled to get close to see how good I looked, and, and I could never get up to the coffin. And mm. I I had that dream probably 50 times. Just people telling me how good I looked in the car. Why doesn't she ever wear her hair that way? And I, I finally, you know, it, it was sort of like I got the message that, you know, perhaps my hair would look much better if I changed it. And I changed it radically, and I never had the dream again. Yeah, you don't have to look deathly ill just to, no. to look good. <laughs> but it the was, new hairstyle, it was sort simple of like, enough for guidance, right? You don't have you to know, dye with it, the it, same it, hairdo. You could change it up a little. I, I know it sounds silly, but but things like that do happen, and if you pay attention to them and 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 take a look at them, and you know, because I I did reflect on was I upset that I was dead? No, I wasn't upset. I just wanted to know what my hair looked like. So so it was not for me a dream saying I was going to die. It was more a dream about you know you'd look better this way, Barbara. And so my my yeah. higher or consciousness. Or since you never higher. actually saw the hair, since you never actually saw the hair, can just say, "Hey, get nope. a little more creative with your hair." <laughs> that, it it may well have been you that, have the but, but what you want to do? You know? <laughs> well, um, you don't in have to do it like dreams, the dream says. No, that's true, and and that's another thing. You know, if you get a message in a dream, it, it isn't. You don't have to follow the directions. I mean. Uh, you have free will. There, there is this, you know. And and and, and if I you tell start people a little bit more conscious and lucid. You can actually have free will during the dream. You can uh-huh. guide and change and fit around and and try different behaviors in the dream while it's happening. You know, many people don't recognize or know exactly what lucidity means, but it means being able to have, to differing degrees. It's not always on or off, but let's say more choice to to guide the dream or at least to perceive the dream more clearly. We don't have to react to events. And then sometimes we can actually have more uh, effect upon actual dream characters or different elements of the dream and, and stuff. So yeah, you, maybe you who, could have uh, dream hair in the coffin. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you know, it, it really, um, there have been times that I've had a dream and I've rolled over and said, 
oh, no, I'm going back in and changing that. I don't like the way that ended. And nice. that's exactly what I do. Now, that's a lucid dream, right? Uh, it sort of depends a little bit for the official definition. You have to be conscious during the dream. My definition is, yeah, that's definitely on the scale of lucidity. But the official definition is you were in the dream and you could have more or less said, oh, my physical body is you know, safe in bed and here I am in my dream. That's more official, real-time consciousness. But if you set an intention to go back into the same dream, which I'm sure many listeners can relate to when they're with their, their favorite movie star or a, a beach in Hawaii or something, and you want to go back to that dream, uh, and then you dream of it, and then maybe you dream a new ending, but you're not fully conscious in the dream, that's still on the scale of starting to become more lucid. At least you chose the dream content, and you shifted it probably while awake, falling asleep. But you can actually also do it in real time during the dream. That's the official definition. Well, now, how do you know if you're in a lucid dream or not? What is, how, what is, how do you determine in a dream that you're in a lucid dream? How do you know that? Yeah, well, it doesn't become lucid until you determine it. So here's the interesting yeah. kind of thing. Never 100% sure. We can never say with 100% clarity if we're awake. And sometimes people get pretty upset when I say that, but it's sort of true. And I say to all the listeners right now, it's a little bit of a shocker, but just have a look at your hands. This is one version of what we might call a reality check. You know, for five or ten seconds, uh-huh. just look at your hands and see that you have all your fingers and stuff. And if they seem to seem uh, stay there pretty stable and you have uh, the same number of fingers and the same number of hands you had yesterday, which I know sometimes is occasionally different for paraplegics or people with different problems, yeah. then... Uh, if, you, if they're still the same and they stay stable, you can be pretty certain that you're awake. And many of the listeners now might be kind of laughing. Of course, they're still certain. But you could be extremely surprised as I have like at least 500, 600, 700 times where my hands start morphing or an extra finger grows or Pac-Man grows, runs up my arm or, or I don't have hands and I just did yesterday to realize, oh my gosh, I thought I was totally awake, but actually I'm in dream time. It seems so quote-unquote real and from uh-huh. that point, once you kind of do a reality check and your check bounces, it's a nice, it's a nice case of your check bouncing, <laughs> yeah. then uh, you can start to guide the dream and do for different things. You can fly. Usually people enjoy flying or float and go through walls. And uh, There's things you can ask questions, sometimes meet deceased loved ones. It's actually one of the central skills that I teach in the Lucid Living teleclass that I offer for people. Something you want to master. It usually takes a little bit more focus and timing. Over about 10 weeks is a pretty good timing to start having lucid dreams and start seeing what you can do with them. Uh, that we teach, and as a team, we learn and we inspire each other. So it's something that's best learned by not just techniques, but also sort of team energy, maybe a, a guide who can sort of point out where you might uh-huh. be stuck. And then the excitement that comes with committing to your own self and your past and your growth for a little bit longer than maybe a night or two. Now you've had a number. You you spoke with a number of artists that <clears throat> actually in their dreams met with other artists that helped them to develop a piece of music, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah, and it at first seems pretty far fetched. Oh my gosh, you can psychically connect, or you can use some kind of <laughs> inner Skype to to reach out to other artists, whatever you want to yeah. use as a framework. But if you think of physical life, it's not really that much different than we say, hey, I think I want to do a collaboration with, let's say, these business colleagues, or in this case, these other musicians, or I want to collaborate with other new moms since I'm a new mother, or whatever our, our life calling is. 
So it doesn't seem too far-fetched that we can use our inner net or our inner dreaming skills to do the same thing. And there's some pretty fun examples. Jimi Hendrix, actually, after he graduated from Earth, he was a pretty big dream-inspired musician. Purple Haze and some of his others came from dreams. But uh, he, after he graduated and, I guess, passed on, then uh, he started coming in the dreams of living guitarists to help them <laughs> learn some pretty complicated guitar music because he was a pretty virtuoso guitar player. So an example is like Dwayne Allman from the Allman Brothers, who many of the listeners have heard. He came and taught him like uh, special riffs and the new melody on the, I think it was on the f- sort of fretboard in the uh, hotel room on the sink faucet or something kind of interesting. How to get the flow happening of the creative juices maybe. And then he uh, came to uh, another one he visited was uh, Jimi Hendrix. Just trying to remember who. Oh yes, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan, as some of the listeners know. He passed on a little while ago now, but uh, another virtuoso guitarist, so a fit for Hendrix. And he says, Stevie Ray Vaughan said, "Yes, he came and taught me secret chord changes of very complicated things I couldn't really do." <laughs> and uh, and interesting in that uh, case, it was actually Stevie Ray Vaughan's physical wife during the same interview who said, well, that's interesting because I did see him in bed actually stretching out his arm physically with his sleeping body and he was kind of like poking into me a little bit as the same way he did when he's, and he scrunched up his face the same way as when he's doing very difficult sort of guitar riffs and solos. So maybe he was actually learning the skill from from Jimi Hendrix in his dream. <laughs> well, I, I, I wouldn't doubt it. It just, um, it, it's, when you stop and think about it, we're all spirit, and it once you're in that dream state, you are in spirit to a great degree. So being able to connect to someone who has passed over to their spiritual energy doesn't seem, you know, strange or, strange or impossible at all. Yeah. Well, to us, we're a little bit of the converted. Maybe some of the listeners are. But I tell the yeah. stories with facts, and you'll but he gets the book there, dreamsbehindthemusic.com. The, uh, there's 760 footnotes. It's three or 4,000 hour work. I didn't just whip it off in a weekend. I really wanted it to be checkable, verifiable, believable, and I got the actual artist quotes or facts or news stories that showed specifically how and when and by who it happened so that people can trust it a little bit more because some of the things in there are pretty out there. We talked about Bono before who dreamt with Roy Orbison, but he also dreamt a collaboration with Dylan dreamt a song and they ended up performing Bob Dylan a song together later and each performed it separately now a little bit too. So there's some, a bit out there things that how could you tune into someone you've never met and like with Roy Orbison that he was going to show up next day at the concert. And how could John Lennon yeah, know wow. his death? And, and another big one, Leonard Skinner. How could the backup singer know that there was going to be a plane crash and 25 people would be in, injured and you know like five of them would die? So in this case they well, actually did it, follow a very close Dream, so. But with that, it's with out that there. One. But then, when you see the news stories and you see it happen and you see that it's recorded, that the person actually told it and the band met, the two uh-huh. guys actually booked flights on other planes before they eventually, finally, I think the the eventual ending of the meeting was okay. We'll take this flight as our last one because we have the concert tonight. And we have to get to it. But after that, we won't take this plane anymore. So they met about the dream that the backup singer told them, uh, "Be careful because the plane's going to crash." And she said, "I'm not going." And then, uh, unfortunately, they did take it. It was the last flight, and uh, the dream came true. So it's verifiable things because it's pretty out there. And especially, especially with that that one, it it just and and first of all, I will I will preface.
um, a training with a, with taking people out of a crash of the exact same plane, and the men who who came to um, to to help to you know clear it out and pull people out of the plane Doc had just it. had that exercise. On the exact same the type of plane, I think, a few weeks before yeah. the Corvair. Yeah. So that's pretty and interesting. Like life or grace or maybe God, if you want to think of it like that, helped to at least mitigate some of the uh, some of the injuries and maybe some avoid some of the deaths. And the hospital right there at the time was actually between shifts, so there was more doctors, and they had a whole bunch of extra uh-huh. blood that had just been donated. They hadn't transmitted it to the larger city. So there was a lot of helper things, but still, they didn't follow guidance stream when five people physically died, including the lead singer, Ronnie Van Zandt. So it's very yeah. serious, important stuff. It's a bit out there, and if people don't believe it, check all the references and the news stories, and you'll see it did happen, and they actually did have a dream, and they, they met about it, and they didn't follow it, as with most of the other stories. So I like to have the facts as much as possible so people can check them. And then eventually, at some point, each person has to decide for themselves enough to be open to try it. Uh-huh. If after a while you try it and it doesn't work and you're not really blocking or afraid of it, then maybe it's not exactly your best path right now. But as long as you're open enough and try it, I'm pretty sure because all my students do and I have and most people I've ever worked with always do get their own experience. They go, wow, how come nobody told me about this before? <laughs> and I say, well, they probably did, but you weren't so open back then. Well, you know, what about also being able to um, go into someone else's dreams? That, that to me is, yeah. is, is amazing. Did you see that film, Inception? Yes. Yeah, and, so and they kind yeah. of enter in. But but you know, in the movie, you think, oh, this is just garbage from the, the movies. It 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 really Hollywood, can happen. You, yeah, you really can do this. Um, again, Absolutely. practice I and have acceptance. A of examples. That's a little bit more of an advanced skill. It takes somebody who's been dedicated for a little while. Sometimes you have surprises of young kids who might be able to do it pretty easily, but perhaps uh, in some other existence they've mastered some of those arts. But certainly learnable by anybody, as is, as are all the other techniques and the universal principles that I show in the book. Because uh-huh. Each person's story has to be based on some universal principle and technique, and then they make their individual creation or their individual healing or Maybe they live their life in their own special way, but the principles and techniques are all universal. That's why I highlight. Well, it's the it's the same with with you know distant healing and things like that, and it's it's projecting a thought, it's projecting a a concept, and um, it it not only works on people, it works on animals. Um, you and animals don't and plants. Yes, animals don't talk English, but they do, their consciousness is able to receive pictures. So projecting a picture to an animal about something you want them to do, um, it, I mean, I, I, I've used it on my cats any number of times. And, you know, if you can calm yourself, if you can get into that space and send it, um, they receive it and they react to it immediately. Now, you know, they're not going to turn cartwheels and stuff like that, but I I've had um I had a cat once who had to be medicated every night and when I thought to myself, Oh damn, I've got to get Angel his medication, you know, he was gone. You just couldn't find him. So I would have to sit quietly and see him in my mind's eye getting up and stretching and 
walking into wherever I was and jumping up on the couch or the bed next to me, and within 10 minutes he was always there. And I gave him his medicine, and we got you know got on with our whatever. But it's 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 training yourself. It's 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 learning another skill. We've all learned how to walk and talk and and work the computer keys. This is just another skill, and it's not that hard to learn. It's a matter of practice and acceptance and belief. And you know, once yeah. you and in fact, in most been, cases, as like young children, and naturally from our sort of individual native heritage, if each of us kind of comes from that deeper realm in some degree, we we are birthed from dreamland or from some invisible uh-huh. realm. Anyway, it's a it's a normal skill that we have as kids. You know, they're often connecting with friends, family, or deceased, and then we learn uh, how to live more normally, whatever that means. But we learn some of the rules of <laughs> culture and our Western civilization. So some of the skills later on end up becoming unlearning, I like to say. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, you 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 did I mean, with the with the lucid dreams and with the visiting other people in their dream states. I mean, it's the same if you're connecting to a a, a loved one who has passed over. Uh, you can do it, but then it's a matter of do you believe it and accept it and embrace it. Um, most people say, oh, that was just my imagination. That wasn't that at all. And they, they shut the door. They slam the door. And it's very sad because there there can be that kind of communication. There can be that kind of um, um, confirmation that a person is okay and on the other side. And uh, it's it's very comforting to know that. And it's, yeah. it's and a would you be willing to say that... Uh... You've run into some people who are like that rather than most people because then we even now attract a, a better world where more and more people are interested in, in exploring that. I, I think that, um, well, heck, 50 years ago when I started in this field, I would have been burned at the stake just about. Now <laughs> now people now people are, I'm not that old. I'm glad but, that didn't um, happen. No, no. <laughs> um, I... When I was teaching and when I started teaching in the sixties um i mean there were there were very strict rules about everything, and being involved in a in a metaphysical field would have been unacceptable and i wouldn't I would have been fired um yeah, when i when you know now today i mean before I left teaching a number of years ago i I was doing readings on my lunch hour so um People are more accepting. They are more. I think they're high. They're. they're I, I want to say they're more intelligent. They have come to understand that that this kind of um, skill has to do with becoming more sensitive about yourself and more in touch with yourself. And the more you are sensitive yeah, more with open. yourself, yeah, the, the the more you're open to other people. So you are able to draw their energy and 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 give them information and. Especially with the dream state. I mean, I just think that the dream state is, um, it's not the final frontier, but it's a frontier that that all of us can go and investigate and and be enriched by if if you do the, it's like everything else, if you do the work. If you have a dream journal, if you you have something to record. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, there's it's, a lot of play, and play is actually really helpful for some of these skills. Just like a playful attitude of trusting, inventing, making it up, using some sure. of the creative skills of mind. Well, yeah, I, I think laughter is certainly the key to just about everything. And and you know, if you have a good sense of humor, you're going to survive anything. And if you have a good sense of humor, you will give yourself the opportunity to try this. And once you've genuinely tried it. I would say 90% will be convinced that this is another area that, that can enhance my spirituality and certainly help me understand my purpose and direction in life. And that's an important thing. That's pretty important. That's what many of the te- teens in our society are longing for. How, what, can, what could be my best life path? How could I find my greatest gifts and develop them and bring them to the community and basically make a living at it and enjoy my life? So it's a huge, huge need, but we don't um, necessarily so far know that there's a pretty simple, direct way to go about at least finding the seed or the DNA, and then we have to live it and commit to it and develop, but at least to get the idea like Larry Page did, and he worked on it and committed to it and created Google, you know, other artists <laughs> develop their playing skills, their performing skills, like uh, different violinists and uh, different yes, artists that actually was... develop their physical skills, piano players. Billy Joel and some of the others actually developed their, their skills due to dreams. So, I, I think that's, that's one of the... Well, yeah. I, I, and, and, you know, these people had a calling, and it wasn't a wrong number. And, and I, I, think, <clears throat> I think people, I, I believe that most people hear that calling and just shrug it off. And and you know just just if you have an inclination, if you feel like you want to do something of a creative nature, um, my my advice is always to try it out. To you know, don't quit your day job, but but get involved in what that that field is to the best of your ability to see if it if it if it resonates to you. Um, we aren't we are not locked in cages here. We we have yeah, the although ability. it felt like that for you sometimes early on in your career, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I bet you did. I bet you did. I, I mean, yeah. when you you started out as a physicist, right, and, and a, a scientist. Yeah, well, uh, maybe like you, uh, and maybe some of your more conservative environments when you started out in the clergy and stuff. I started out as uh, a really pretty hardcore scientist, a mind-centered person. Now what I like to say, I'm a recovering thinkaholic because I realize <laughs> and can say that I was pretty stuck in my head, more connected with intuition and emotions. But at the time, I didn't even know. And so the conservative structures, at the time, I would say, oh, people have to learn. I was born again. And you have to try this stuff. You know, life isn't the only station on the dial. You can be conscious and lucid in dreams and try to convert my family. That's probably the worst thing I ever tried to do. And then uh, start to teach and guide everybody. And then after a while, I realized that I just have to really develop and connect with my joy and my skills and practice what I preach. And then just naturally by what I'm joyful to share, maybe the book or different songs uh-huh. I write or different ways I talk, things that come from my different radio interviews, even the content comes from my dreams. I just joyfully share my passion, and then it's catchy, and people say, that's pretty neat. You sound, That sounds interesting. How could I try that? Rather than sort of flipping into preaching mode or trying to convert them to something that I don't really fully trust yet. For a while, I was born yeah, again, no. you know, I have to admit. <laughs> well, 
I think we all are. I think that's one of the phases. And I, I truly, I, I somewhere along the line, I realized that rather than, I, I am a teacher, but but more I teach by example than by word, so that so that you know if people see something that works for me, they get curious about it and you know try to examine their own life and how they can get into that kind of a mindset. Um, it isn't that I don't actually talk, but and I do, but usually I, I have to wait. I, I the hardest thing ever is to wait to be asked. You know, you kind of want to get out there and say, you know, if you did this, you'd, you'd really be better off and life would be greater for you. It's it's kind of like you aren't appreciated when you want to give wisdom like that. Well, <laughs> one of the, the true principles is that we each, we each need to find a way and motivation, so not just the strategies uh-huh. or techniques. We need to kind of be internally motivated to want to hear our own voice or to change our own thinking. Or, By the way, that might be connected with your new hairdo from the, after the coffin. <laughs> I imagine symbolically, emotionally, maybe you change your thinking after that, too, which is sort of what hair might represent in life. So it probably had yeah. two benefits. But when we're motivated oh, internally for these kind of changes and growth, then uh, it's really valuable. You know, we don't have to, like, get the advice or learn something. It's usually just sort of a uh, somebody taking us in a taxi to a doorway but it's not uh-huh. nearly as important as we walk through the doorway ourselves and we actually know that yes. world that we walked into. They can kind of show us there a little bit, give us hints what it's like, but we have to walk there or dance or fly. That's, maybe. that's true. What what drew you to the um, McGill um, lucid dream? Um, was it McGill? You know, you're a McGill graduate, but you did that's the lucid it. dream pioneering at Stanford. How did you get involved in that? Uh, yes, well, uh, you you got two of the places that I studied, correct? Uh, McGill uh-huh. University, that's my physicist uh, self, which I still really value my degree, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of very critical thinking and sort of problem solving and, I guess, strong intellect skills that I learned there. And uh, also some of the nuts and bolts of how to, like, make computer programs and build inventions that I like to build. That's all very valuable things. Like the the mask I designed that actually has uh, helps people have lucid dreams. It's a, a an invention. But then uh, I guess I had my powerful near drowning. I told you about. And seven yeah. years later, after starting to explore and learn and get a little bit away from the strong born again, convincing everybody this is the next best thing, uh, I got uh, I got followed enough, truly enough to. It's a pretty specific and a little bit longer story, but magically connected in the way uh, sort of synchronicity with the Stanford research, which really was the perfect melding of the two worlds that I knew. My inner experiences of having these dreams where I was conscious and could find out valuable info about the future and meet people and then verify information, sort of crazy dreams, you know. And then they had the science, the sleep lab, measuring the physical electrodes, seeing cycles, statistics of many people's dreams and different things. I said, wow, that's my two worlds. And so life placed me over there, and I ended up getting a very rare opportunity to, as I said, design an electronic tool that now has been created and recreated and sold around the world in many different forms to help people have lucid dreams. And started giving out the, some of the core techniques that are shared around the world to help people become conscious in dreams. And I found it really exciting because it sort of met my need for, hey, you know what? This shouldn't be held off in laboratories. Let's get this out to the people who can use it. Uh-huh. What about biofeedback, too, because you've been involved with that a little bit as well? 
Yeah, well, I have a special knack, I think, for designing usually electronic, not only electronic, but uh, the language of our culture, technology, ways mm-hmm. that uh, devices usually sometimes different sort of thinking structures, or in this case, a book, an idea structure, but specifically actual inventions, physical products or devices that can help us become more aware of usually inner things. Biofeedback is a general phrase that usually suggests technology devices that can help us become aware of physical or physiological parameters. Uh, One of the most common early ones was the alpha training that people usually think of when they heard of biofeedback, sort of learning Uh how to get into a deep state of meditation or creativity. But now it's developed so far beyond that. And uh, I think it solves 400 pretty common disorders and or at least helps an awful lot with 400 dis- medical problems and disorders and diseases. So it's actually really great that tools can help us, for example, recognize our heart rate variability. That's one of the big new ones. Yeah, not just our heart rate and the speed at which the heart beats, but the actual difference in time between beats in a cyclical fashion. We actually have sort of this sine wave. There, Our heart speeds up when we breathe in and slows down a little bit when we breathe out. And that's really good that we have that variability. It's called... Otherwise, we're getting close to death, or we're getting really sick. So, yeah. some of these devices. Does everybody's, does everybody's heart have a different rhythm? Subtly. Uh, are you getting metaphorical on me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would say we dance to of our own hearts calling. Sure, why not? Physiologically, uh, well, no. we certainly have different. No, I, um, I mean I know they, they have the machines that it's thump 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 thump, and I know they have the electronic ways of recording it when. Um, a long time ago, my mother my mother had, when she was alive, a heart condition, and, and quite often we did, you know, the run to the emergency room in the hospital. And on the cardiac wing, I noticed that um, they they had screens on the outside of each room where the heart rhythms were being um, projected, I guess, so that the nurses could, you know, look and see if anybody had flatlined or anything. But um, but I remember um, how different they were. And, you know, I, I will grant you this was a cardiac wing, so everybody in there was having a heart problem. But but it looked like every every heart had a very a, a different and distinctive rhythm to it. And I often wondered if if music could be taken from those, rhythms and created. Well, there have been some avant-garde artists who've used uh, different physiological parameters and sounds, but specifically different aspects of sort of biorhythms, let's call them, to Uh inspire music and sound. It becomes quite a translation, uh, creative translation process of how do you translate that into actual music that people want to listen to more than just something interesting. And that becomes the art the artist who does that well. But if you're actually just physically looking at the different rhythms, sounds, or shape of somebody's heartbeats, I like to extend it to the general universal principle that every symbol, and you know, the heart is just a physical symbol in our body. It's an actual physical thing. But then we have the emotional heart and maybe the other aspects of the intuitive wisdom heart and such. So it's a universal thing, but every symbol has a universal aspect. You know, we all have a heart, for example, physically. Uh, we all have a heart, or hopefully we are connected with our emotions at some point. And then uh, even things like features on a face, we all have a nose or eyes, assuming that we didn't have a medical disorder. 
but then they all have really into each symbol has an individual aspect too. So we all have a slightly different nose or slightly different eyes or our heartbeats a little bit different. And that's the beauty of every symbol. We have something really universal there and then we have something very individual and that's actually one of the biggest expressions of life. It's kind of connecting with our universality and then expressing it individually. We, we span the spectrum of our greatest self when we do that. Absolutely. Now, now you've, we've talked about dreams. We've talked about um, lucid dreaming. We've talked about precognitive dreaming. We've talked about visiting someone else in, in the dream state. Have you taken it further into um, like astral travel type of, of stuff or, or distant viewing? Yeah, remote viewing, distant viewing, and uh, things sometimes yeah. people say out-of-body experiences. Or, yeah. There's actually a number of different phrases that end up relating to probably what are not exactly always the same experience. There's probably overlapping categories of experience, so we shouldn't just fit them all into one size bin. But there's a lot of overlaps between, let's say, astral journeys where, let's say, a dream is closer to the physical replica of the world, and sometimes we can find out valuable info that plays out physically. And then we have uh, out-of-body experiences where we sort of see in the dream our physical body in bed or something like it, and we start to have experiences or things that we can relate to when we wake up, you know, that uh, I've actually seen some pretty strange stuff, like they saw the hair in a very specific way of their bed partner and sort of checked it later and it was exactly like that, even though it was very unusual. So there's sort of weird things that overlap into the physical. And then sometimes we might have remote viewing of something we've never heard of, never seen, and can't really find out about any other way. Is that a lucid dream? Is it an astral travel? I mean, the phrases and the the labels probably don't matter too much, but is there some valuable things that can improve lives? That's usually a pretty good question. So I encourage people, don't just ask what it means or don't just name it. Go go further and ask, hey, what does this experience or what does this dream want? And uh-huh. that different question can usually bring some pretty nice gifts to our life. It can include interpretation in the analysis level, but then it brings it to an action usually of serving somebody in a practical, positive way. It's it's a good way too to find out how a deeper part of you could relate to a situation. In other words, if you have a, a difficult situation in in the physical, you can you can ask to be given an understanding of why and a, and how to improve it. I mean, it's it's a wonderful form of self analysis if you give yourself a chance. In, in other words, um, say you had a conflict of, with someone. If you took that conflict, if you said, I want to understand this more, and you went into a dream state and took a look at it, even even possibly in a lucid form so that you could look at both sides, it might give you a better understanding of what was going on within your life. Yes. Yeah. No? So, And we can also use the uh, physical episode of a blowout or emotional charged interaction as a symbolic mm-hmm. event to ask us that. And uh, Sometimes it's just simpler to solve a problem and move on. But over time, <laughs> if we start to dream about it or have a rec- recurring scenarios, we can look at it like a dream and say, okay, there's something I'm not getting in terms of a life lesson because I keep attracting, let's say, blowouts with my boss or I keep attracting a certain type or at least a theme of health problems with my legs or whatever it is. 
and then we it's pretty smart to go inside and get the lesson and the insight that can solve these recurring problems. I call it on the printout of life because really it's the inner software level where it prints out into our body or our relationships or our, the events that we call our careers or our meetings with other people, relationships. So go inside and then change it from the inside out. Be the change that you want to see in the world. People say it in different ways. Uh-huh. Well, now, it is said by some that, that a lot, not all, but a lot of illnesses come from uh, an emotional cause w- within ourselves. So so you could use this kind of journey to to not only understand what was going on, but to help heal oneself, couldn't you? Absolutely, and I've done that myself. I've actually healed shoulder problems when I was a big swimmer in university just by sending lucid energy to my shoulders. And, uh, you know, after months of kind of bursitis problems, pretty quickly and somewhat dramatically, not like the next morning, but let's say over the next couple of weeks, they improved significantly, and I felt very clear that I, to some degree, healed myself. So that's a little more, let's say, radical or maybe a little bit of a stretch for people. But we can usually find out the emotional roots of a relationship problem that leads to our stress in our stomach that's causing acidity, and then the acidity is causing a skin breakout, and skin breakout is causing a loss of sleep, and the loss of sleep is causing us to get sick more often. And if we go after some of the sources inside us, the emotional problem or whatever the blowout or anger was, dreams are always waiting to help heal that right away. And then they can also work uh, I think you might actually be sort of suggesting what I call dream incubation or intentional dreaming. We start to choose a topic to dream about, maybe our health, and then we uh-huh. see what's the best solution? What's the way that I could really find a much richer feeling in this relationship? How could I find much more success in my career where I'm earning lots of income to, to provide freedom and then serving lots of people in positive ways? And with intentions and starting to become more active, that's what I call lucid living. And dreams become a very important tool in, in full lucid living. The life dream lived more consciously. And that's what I train in the lucid living teleclasses that if people are interested. Check out AppliedDreaming.com. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Um, how, we, how one would utilize, first of all, the applied dreaming, and second of all, what your, what your classes are like online. Well, uh, I guess it's sort of birthed from... I was learning some principles that I didn't know anything about and that I actually wasn't reading about. Some different ways, like people who start connecting with dreams would always have nightmares at the start. I was kind of like, that's unusual. But like a scientist, I started noting it and seeing trends and statistics and things. And then I saw that after that, if we did certain practices, they became a little more lucid. They could start to have creative dreams and resolve some of their emotional things. And then after that, they could get creative insights about new directions. And then if they acted on the creative insights that the dreams provided, they could actually have direct healings, sometimes immediate surprising healings in their dreams or relationships, you know, sort of resolve it in the dream with the other person and wake up and they phone you and they say, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry I've seen some of those. Or more subtly, we changed it in ourselves. So I saw these trends happening. I said, wow, we have to find a way to get this to more people. And I started and, and still lead teleclasses that kind of map the process and use the, the process that I saw happening naturally. And I can't say I learned it really other than that life taught me. And I sort of noticed uh-huh. it happening and now I, I tailor it a little bit towards specific things that I've, I've seen in many people's 
occasions and the techniques that I use are specifically timed during the course, sort of over the course. But some people start at different stages. Some people are more open and have great dream recall. Some people are more lucid already. Some people are just beginning. And then there's some very strange ones where they're really advanced dreamers and I end up being the learner student, <laughs> except that they didn't know they were advanced. At least I get to be lucky enough to maybe be a What's that? A midwife for a few weeks to help them birth their magical, powerful self that teaches and guides me. So I keep humble and realize I'm always a student and it goes well and we have a good laughter. The, the team journeys are so fun. I keep it to a small size, usually about six to 12, what I call adventurers on the, the exploration journey. And it's uh-huh. very practical and pragmatic. I just give techniques and people have to try it during the week. It's not like take what I say for granted as a gospel. It's like, here's the technique, do it and bring your results and inspire the others. And if it didn't work, try this and try this. So it becomes very pragmatic and hands-on. Well, I would imagine it's a very um, comfortable way to, to, to learn something like this because if you're doing it independently, uh, sometimes it's like, was that right? Was that wrong? What did I, you know, did I do it right? Did I get the right result? And and if you have a group like this that you can sort of check check things out and and say, you know, it, 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 am I crazy or was this, this right? Yeah, I mean, every now and then, sure. And and you get you get input from others too, and you hear others' experiences, and you get to. To reflect yeah. and say, okay, so I'm not crazy. Exactly. This is this is really happening. And inspires us too, and motivates us. Wow, that person had a lucid dream on the third week. I want to have one too. So it ends up being <laughs> motivating and inspiring too. And then there's a guide there, a friendly guide. Hopefully, that's me, who doesn't take himself uh-huh. too seriously. Uh, hopefully, who can kind of coach <laughs> and and nudge people in a direction where he's seen common places where people get stuck. And uh, now with lots of experience, that seems to go very well, and I have so many return students. I'm I'm super grateful for that because then I get to learn and try new things too. And it's one of the rare things in life, along with music, those are really about the only two things, and maybe people and relationships, so maybe three things, uh, where I've found that it's interesting enough to really keep me engaged for like years because I'm a pretty quick learner of things. And most other things, I get a little burnt out or maybe bored. I don't want to sound too jaded here, but since I learn quick, I like things that can be fascinating and interesting, and I can keep learning for a long time. So dreams, music, and people, and group dynamics has been the, the big thing like that for me. And that's my passion and profession meeting. Well, I would I would think getting into a group energy, even if it's online, is it's still a group. Um, you You do tend to... First of all, there's an energy blend, and second of all, um, you are challenged to go beyond yourself. Or I have found when working with any group that the group inspires me to go further and to reach further and to you know find different ways of presenting material so that it's fresh for them and fresh for me. So that so that yeah, exactly. It's it's you know so in some special. cases. In, in some cases, you had to get paid for it because you're learning so much, you know, from the other people's um, experience and energy. Uh, I, I think well, that, I don't mind getting that, paid for it because uh, the pay <laughs> serves me to, to serve more people. So I think of a pay and that, that whole financial side as just a way to help get the work out there to more people. Uh, but, you oh, know, yeah. I guess there's ways that we want to charge the right amount and over the oh, yeah. the years, I've kind of found what people feel right because if people don't commit enough, either time-wise or financially, they usually don't show up so well for something that could be super valuable. So 
I like that they're going to make a commitment of time. They invest in themselves, and as much as they invest, they support them. And and I see that just even spontaneously, not intentionally, people start dreaming for each other. And sometimes, usually a little more in the advanced groups, but sometimes beginner or first-level groups, uh, people dream with the deceased, or they get these special guides coming in and helping. So we have like help from the other side, and people are all blown away. And I say, you know, it happens all the time. You'd be surprised. It's just that most of the time, many of us don't tune to it. Unless we're with a group, sort of exploring and addressing these things. Yeah, I, I I would think that this would be something that would be, you know, having a group to do it in is far more beneficial than trying to do it on your own. Not to say you can't. It's just it's just there's there's something about the group energy that always makes it easier, even though you're not necessarily in the same even state. It's it's um, I did a remote viewing. Uh, exercise with a lot of people and they were all over the world and yet they pulled together for a meditation at the same time and everybody got something from the the fact that that there was a group doing it even though they weren't in the same room or the state they were the energies were still there and it's it's sort of like energies can combine they they don't have to be physically in the same place in order to interweave with one another and enhance what everybody can do. So that so that um doing something like this in, in a in a group, even even if it's online, you still have the group there, you still have the input, you still have the support and it's a it's a it's a fascinating thing. Uh I'd rather do spiritual work in yeah. a group anywhere than, than all by myself. I agree. Well, that's I, I have various ways I share my work. I do private training sessions sometimes for higher-profile clients who don't want to be too public with some of their things. And I do lots of private counseling, coaching, and healing sessions too. Or uh-huh. workshops live, sometimes physical events that are like a one-night talk or maybe a single-media interview or something. But then it's really the ongoing sort of group feedback that I enjoy the most. First of all, I seem, I seem to have a knack. Remember my calling dreams, my vision dreams for my life was teaching and speaking in front of groups and also performing in front of groups. So I think I might have on some deeper level a special knack or a special calling for that. But then uh-huh. I find uh, it keeps me most interested and in, uh, the perspectives of the different folks, like you said, are really good. And we don't have to be tied in physically or geographically. Uh, I lead teleclasses. They go really well. That's uh, the ones that I describe at AppliedDreaming.com, the website. And uh, people can read more about that. But also, they don't have to be aligned in time. Sometimes uh, somebody can't make a certain class, but they all they have a super powerful dream that morning or the dream the next day that aligns exactly with some, what someone just shared in class that they didn't know about. So, uh, and, and I make recording, private recording for just the group. But uh-huh. I make recordings of each class. Everybody can sort of get all the info, but they don't even need to. I say, you know what, just tune in with little maybe special quotes around the word in, and you'll get all the yeah. gifts of the class, or you'll connect with the others in the class that night. So there's sure. some pretty interesting principles that are showing up. I think it sounds like you've explored some of these things, too. So that's nice to be with a fellow seeker, explorer, <laughs> who's some of the past. It, it, it is cool. The, the one thing we haven't talked about is your music because you also are a musician and I know um I've been listening to some of your music which I think is amazing and um oh. is another facet to to um how you use and express your gifts and your talents. Oh yeah, well and, thanks uh, for that. 
means a lot to me as an artist. You know, any artist, I guess any writer too, also likes to be heard, received, read. In this case, uh, my artist self, my creative music self, uh, ends up, I'm pretty lucky. You'll see uh, if, if listeners have a chance to check out the book, The Dreams Behind the Music that I wrote there. They'll see that some of the artists just maybe once in their life or a few times have these powerful music dreams and visions. And, you know, sometimes they're very lucky with them, like the Beatles' two biggest hits. Or, but sometimes they have them very, more often, but uh, most of them don't usually do it too often. Billy Joel's a bit of an exception. He says every song he's ever written has come from a dream. And so he's a pretty tuned rock and roll shaman, I like to call him. But I end uh-huh. up personally dreaming music almost on demand a few times a week if I don't really seek it. And then when I'm working on song or music or maybe uh, I do soundtracks for TV and film and different videos and things. I actually end up dreaming different ways that it could come together, or I've had, even had lucid dreams. I think one I describe in the book where I'm learning and trying the production of the song and different soundscapes and different instrument mixes in the actual dream before I wake up and I, I've reached the conclusion already what would be best. So there's pretty interesting skill sets that come from the other side, not to mention the amazing creative inspirations too. Oh, yeah, and it, it just... Um... When I started reading the book and I realized, wait a minute, he's talking about musicians. He's got to be one, too. And so I, you know, I have my Alexa here. And so I just said, you know, um, okay, play good. music by Craigs and Webb. And so I, I think I've listened to Polymers about 20 times. Oh. <laughs> How did that happen? It's, it, it is the coolest, coolest song music. It's, it's just amazing. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, we'll give a little history because some of the listeners probably haven't heard that one. So Polymers is an interesting one. First off, it actually is a creation of myself and a friend originally. I was uh, at a friend's house. I was actually there before he got home, you know, a close friend. So he let me in and he said, yeah, I'll come home and you can have dinner ready for me. And I said, oh, yeah, great. I'll be the chef tonight. So I wanted to cook a pretty special dish that I'd learned about in Ecuador. It's called umita de maíz in Spanish, I guess, uh, I don't know what they do, exact translation, but something like uh, a humid corn mix or something. But anyways, uh, in Ecuador, where I first learned it, you know, in the countryside, kind of very rural native setting where I lived for six months, it was uh, it was actually made inside the plantain leaves with very like key ingredients and then sort of heated in the little wood-burning oven and stuff. I thought, how can I recreate that here? Because when you buy corn in North America, at least where I where I was in Palo Alto at the time, it comes inside orange styrofoam container with plastic bag wrap on top, <laughs> and there's no like corn husks. Or... So I said, oh well, maybe I'll just use a little baggie, and it'll kind of be like the plantain leaves with corn husks. I guess you have to do what you can with what you got. And so I just clipped them with clothes bags to the inside of the pot, so it wouldn't all fall apart. And he came into the house uh, just shortly after and said, wow, it smells great. What are you doing? I said, oh, it's a crazy dish from Ecuador. It's called umita de maíz. And he lifted off the pot lid and he goes, what the heck is that, man? You're cooking our dinner in plastic baggies? Oh, my God. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be like him. And within about 15 minutes, we birthed. We hadn't finished. Uh, I worked out quite a bit more on the song. But we birthed the song Polymers inspired by little plastic baggies I was cooking dinner in because there was no plantain leaves or corn husks. Uh, but the reason that one became public was actually a dream. I have a lot of music that was inspired and that I played more in smaller concerts. But then a uh, dream, these two women came and said, Greg, we'd really like you to share this song publicly, and it would really inspire and help a lot of people. It might even be good for the environment. So can you get it out there more? 
And he said, a dream? And I said, yeah, sure, no problem. And which one? And then I woke up <laughs> before I heard which one. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to know which song because I have like a few hundred or maybe a thousand songs on my hard drive, some birthed and some partly done. Which one am I supposed to market more? And then, fortunately, I remembered that their names were Polly and Muriel. <laughs> oh, that must be the song Polly Murs. And then it ended up uh, lots of synchronicities later that I shared it on a big radio show with uh, with James Cameron, actually. He was telling his story of how uh, Dreams inspired Avatar. I got him on that radio show. I actually dreamt to be with James Cameron because of one of Precog Vision said, fly to L.A. tomorrow. And it ended uh-huh. up being a long story to have polymers play or at least a mention of polymers for, I guess, many millions of people. So it did get out there a little bit more. So I hope Polly and Muriel are happening. Happy and happening. And if people are interested, they can check it out on iTunes and most of the streaming services. It's called Polymers by Craig Simweb. Yeah, it. it um, I just, I just chuckle through it. It's just the lyrics are amazing. I, I like the music too, um, but it was, it was, you know, probably not something that I would have tuned to had I not been going to be talking to you and, and wanted to hear some of your music and and that was the one that resonated with me it was like oh i got to go back and listen to this again it just it, the lyrics were terrific and you know when you get something that is inspired it has an energy mm-hmm. about it it has a feeling about it. i mean um avatar to me one of the most magical movies ever made i you just you you look at it and you know um i work a lot with color and um there's a predominance of blue in there and, and of course it's the chakra color and it's the throat chakra and that's communication and and so so visually he's communicating to you a spiritual message that isn't in the dialogue at all so that it, yeah, well, it, James Cameron, it, uh, the director and writer and producer, I guess, he's a master, there's no question. But the actual inspiration for the bioluminescence came from his dream, where he saw a glowing forest, glowing river, and animals that glowed. And he says, wow, that has to be in one of my movies. At first, because he's an artist, too, he, he sketched it with pastels, and he said, you know what, I never really matched the colors of what I saw in my dreams. But later, they yeah. they got some really good I guess, video and digital artists to create recreate the colors as well as he'd seen them in his dream and I think that touched a lot of people too Barbara not just you well it's 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 it, it talked to you and you know when you when you see something that is a work of art it speaks to you on on another level and to me that movie spoke to me tremendously and I think I must have I own it I, I think I must have watched it at least ten times, and I'd be happy to watch it again oh. with somebody. You know, it's just uh, there's there's something there that is speaking to you, and I swear to you, it speaks beneath the surface, so that there is a spiritual yeah. message in there, whether or not he intended it. There is a spiritual message. In, I mean, for Pete's sake, he named the planet Pandora. Give me a break. Um, huh. But but. It, well, the it, fact you that know, they're, they're tall blue warrior people and that the whole race, of, I guess the natives, is blue, which is the color yeah. you really like, that actually came from his mother's dream. She dreamt of the tall blue warrior people, and he wrote a short story at first and said, you know what, I'm going to make that into a movie someday. 
So they're, they're, they come from pretty deep inspirations. In this case, a huge gift from his mom, like 25 years before from the dream. And it became wow. one of the highest grossing of all time. So there's some pretty magical DNA in the seeds of those original ideas that ended up becoming an incredible movie. And but but you, really you can see it. Right you, you can see it and you can feel it. I mean, come on, yesterday. And, you know, I mean, some of the music that that has um, survived the test of time, that is, that is determined to be classical, that is there forever. And imagine, I mean, yeah. they they speak to people. Hallelujah. They, everybody. Yeah. Every, oh, yeah. I mean, everybody has a personal experience of it, and I do believe that the, that there is a magic in anything that comes from, from the inspiration of the author or the artist or whatever. It, there is a magic there that, that reaches out and touches people's spirits, souls, awakens something in them, even without them knowing it. So that, so that if, you are, if you are grabbing these inspirations and using them and sharing them in any way, shape, or form, that that you are putting a seed of spiritual energy out there to touch the hearts and spirits of people who come in contact with it. Yeah, it's and, a gift uh, that comes from within and given to others. Alchem- it's a gift that keeps power, on giving. Yeah. Yeah, it's got the true connection with what uh, divine energy inspired us through our own creative way to touch others, like Larry Page's Google or... Or even oh, yeah. like someone like uh, Jimmy Webb, who's uh, he's, I like his family name, you know, as Craig Webb here. He got uh, a nightmare, actually, that upset him an awful lot. But then he got up in the middle of the night in his hotel room and wrote on the piano, The Highwayman. And it wasn't too big a hit for him, but the alchemy of the song continued. And then Glenn Campbell picked it up and he said, I want to do this. But he, his label, Capitol Records, wouldn't do it. So he actually dropped after like 30 albums, his whole record label, because he wanted to do one song. But that was the dream-inspired nightmare song from Jimmy Webb. And then later it created the super group with Waylon Jennings and Chris Christopherson, Willie Nelson, and Johnny Cash, who's also a really big metaphysical and power dreamer, oh, yeah. Johnny Cash. And so it, it kind of had this gift that keeps on giving of transformation change. It really shocked a lot of change of the highwayman dream originally. <laughs> It is so cool. Well, I just I just noticed we're almost out of time. Um, <clears throat> I want to thank you first for your book, and and second of all for triggering the remembrance of a magical dream I had, and third of all so for making thank you. Well, and and also for making dreams a more an easier, more acceptable thing for the general public to tap into. Um, you've you've made it easy because you've presented so many people that everybody knows as being famous at, as utilizing dreams, and kind of like if they can do it, I can do it. And and maybe I'm not going to write a song, but but I am going to bring that magic into my life and learn a lot more about myself. And thank you for your teaching. Thank you for your gifts. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for the magic that you continue to share with the people around the world. And thank you for feeling that it's important enough to put yourself out there. I do appreciate so much your being here. Well, you're very welcome. All listeners are very welcome. And uh, I love being received as a musician and author here 
if people want to learn more about the book, check out dreamsbehindthemusic.com or if they want to learn about the teleclasses, applieddreaming.com with two Ds. And I'm glad to share more of the wisdom where that came from. But other than that, I just hope everybody has some terrific dreams after hearing uh, this beautiful interview with you. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Barbara, for allowing me to share. Ah, well, thank you. And good night, everybody. Thanks for being here and pleasant dreams.